you start to wonder whether that generation are modifying their behavior because they don't know whether someone's going to be capturing that on video. And to what extent are you holding back the real you because you're constantly being watched? Hello and welcome to Below the Line, a podcast presented by the Lower East Side Film Festival. I am festival director Shannon Walker here with my other festival director and co-host Roxy Hunt. Hello, welcome. Today we have some amazing filmmakers on the podcast. Two filmmakers from the documentary feature I Am Gen Z, which is screening as a part of Lower East Side Film Festival 2022. Ladies, please introduce yourselves. So I'm Liz Smith and I'm the director and editor of the film. And I'm Chantal de Carvalho and I'm the producer. Welcome. Welcome. First off, tell us, for those who haven't seen the film yet, uh, give us a little description of I Am Gen Z. So it's really all about the impact that technology and the digital revolution and mobile phones are having on all of our lives and how it's changing our behaviours and um, changing our lives and changing our worlds. But it really does focus down on particularly how it's affecting um, Generation Z. So that's the that's the premise of it. And what brought you guys to this film? What was, you know, how did you find yourself uh, at the helm of this project? <laughs> so you'll know very well, and I guess most of your listeners will, if they're involved in documentary filmmaking, that if you're going to make a film, you've got to be really fascinated by it and really involved in it because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. And um, for me, this is a subject that was very, very close to my heart because back in the late 1990s, 1997, I joined what was this then, this little American startup company called Yahoo. Now we all know what happened after that. And it was an absolutely amazing experience being part of that journey in the early days. And that company that the vision for all the a lot of the companies around then was really quite like you know we're changing the world here it's quite revolutionary we're changing it for the better you know and um how we're opening up um borders and communication and democratization and all of those kinds of things it was a really special time and we were really felt like we were building something which was really positive and amazing and, and you know, allowing people to communicate across borders and do uh, quite a democratizing force. And um, there was a lot of well-intentioned people there. And then um, I left that world um, back in 2002. I went to film school then. I've been a filmmaker ever since then. But looking back 20 years later, I'm like, whoa, what is this, the, this thing that we, we created? And, you know, it, to some respects, um, have we created a bit of a sort of Frankenstein monster here? And so that was my reason for particularly looking at this topic. And also I'm just very interested in, in you know, the human behavior and what makes us tick as human beings and psychology and all the forces that are at play that you know, affect our behaviors. So started digging into it. And um, I read this book quite early on in the research phase by um, Jean Twenge, the iGen book. And that was when there was this penny drop moment of, Ah, Generation Z, um, they are the first generation who've had mobile technology in their lives. So, and they are different from millennials because uh, at the beginning of making the film, I didn't appreciate there was really any difference between millennials and Gen Z. 
And uh, so that was a fascinating way to sort of start to focus down uh, on the topic and start to dig into, you know, that generation and, and, and discover and learn a lot about them uh, along the way. I thought it was quite, some of the more comical moments I felt of the documentary were the, mo- were the moments where the Generation Z subjects wanted to distance themselves as much as they could from millennials and how, how different they are. And I thought, oh, that's hurtful, but all right. <laughs> yeah, there were. watch the film and get a little bit offended um, by that and upset by that. I do, you know, we all, you know, we all do that a little bit, you know, us Gen Xers didn't, don't want to be um, compared to the boomers. And, and there's, you know, there is a, obviously a reaction between the generations. Um, and it's a quite a clunky way of of organizing people, but it's quite useful too. And I think we're all we are all the result of the environment we've grown up in to a certain degree, right? The environment we've grown up in inevitably is going to impact our behaviors, our values, how we run our lives, etc. And you really do start to see a massively different generation with Generation Z from the ones that have gone before them. And I think technology is a massive part in um, having made that big difference. Chantelle, can you talk a little bit about how you came onto the project? Oh yeah, Um, Liz and I have a long working relationship anyway. Um, And, uh, you know, we had done narrative features before together. And uh, so uh, Liz was on her journey with uh, documentary features while I carried on with narrative. And um, she did call me up one day and kind of her her words were, don't say no yet. Um, But I really like it to come on board with this project. And then she sort of explained what was about. And at that point, it was the broader um, arching um, sort of screen addiction, digital addiction um, idea. And, you know, my kids are millennials. And I was quite cognizant of the fact that they just escaped the, um, the, the sort of difficulties that the Gen Z were facing in that they had sort of experienced a bit of self-regulation and they, you know, had been playing out a lot more and that kind of thing. But I was also very aware of how seductive um, digital technology was even for them uh, in their age group. And so I, I just thought it was really fascinating and the whole mental um, the, the the mental issues that um, come with the the addiction were very interesting to me as well. So yeah, so was, uh, and I, I was just so excited to work with Liz again as well. So tell us a little bit about whose voices are in the film and how did you guys kind of compile the experts and you know what was the initial goal in setting out to do this film? You know what was the the hope at the end of it that we would that the audience would kind of take away. In terms of the voices, during the research period, I obviously read a lot um, from experts, you know, psychologists, neuroscientists, people in the tech industry. And obviously I wanted to to sort of unpick uh, a little bit what's going on behind the scenes. And uh, so I started to identify some of those key figures, those people um, early on in the process and reached out to some of them and some of them agreed to be part of the film. And it happened quite organically, that process in finding those people just naturally through the research phase. What was interesting is, you know, we really wanted to make sure that we had the voice of Gen Z represented well in the film too. And we started off by doing just interviews with Gen Zs. And 
some of them are kind of are in there, but a lot of them didn't actually make the final cut. And that was because we weren't actually getting really what we needed. And I think a lot of that was just because when it wasn't the right environment to get the sort of truth out, get the get the sort of veracity really in, into the film or the authenticity. Because you, you you kind of, when you're being interviewed, you sort of think, well, um, am I being... Um, you sort of you're sort of leading them a little bit and you sometimes get the answers that they think you want to hear so there was a certain amount of that that we were getting and then um then the whole covid thing happened right and luckily we we'd shot most of the footage that we needed to make the film um but we didn't have enough of the gen z footage at this point so that forced me onto tiktok and i would spend every morning two three hours on TikTok and I'd get pulled in in just the way that everyone else gets pulled in and it would be like ah. um, but what was amazing is I was finding these incredible pieces of content that were created by Gen Z in their own voice on their own platform in the format that they liked um, and totally uninfluenced by me and so I was like, ah, oh, I can match that video to this story point. And that was then the most effective way of actually bringing in the Gen Z voice. Now we had a lot of challenges then obviously getting the permissions to, to use those, which Chantal can tell you all about. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we, we took, um, as Liz said, she took the deep dive in and identified all these different voices. And then with the, you know, us being Gen Xers trying to reach out to young people like that, we just sort of didn't have quite the right lingo and the right approach. And so we, we, we got two amazing researchers on board, both Gen Zers, and they were able to do the approaches in just the right way. And um, luckily, we were able to um, get quite a few of these clips licensed. And, you know, we, we licensed them purely as, as content and IP that was owned by um, each individual it was you know a lot of work put it that way it, it took hours and hours of um, convincing and you know a lot of toing and froing over contracts that really shouldn't have had taken so much toing and froing but you know everyone's cautious these days and that's so interesting that you ended up learning you know an obstacle to overcome would be actually interfacing quite a bit with with TikTok users and just the divide between the generations you know behind the scenes as well as in the film <laughs> I guess do you think it's something uh they are the creator and sort of distributor of their content. So to give that over, they're giving so much power over and they're not used to that or tentative or... I don't think that was so much the issue. Half the battle was just getting them to um, look at a contract and yeah. sign an agreement and send it by email. They, there's not a lot of emailing going on in that world. So it was more a practical thing rather than a resistance of being in the film, wouldn't you say, Chantal? Yeah, I would say so. We, we didn't realise that one or two of the people we approached were sort of trying to build themselves as influencers. And in any case, you know, Liz was quite determined not to have influences in the film. So they, they were the only ones who had any kind of resistance on a contractual level. But yeah, I agree with Liz. Um, it was was, you know, we, we took screen grabs at some points and we accepted screen grabs and, you know, and a message that said that screen grab really is me signing and agreeing to be in your film. So. 
I think one point that I took away from the film is when you guys kind of brought up this theme of some of the way we do things is just not, you know, congruent with digital technology. And maybe we need to rethink certain, you know, ways and practices of doing things instead of trying to like force the two together in a way. One other thing that I, I just wanted to bring up and that I loved in the film was, will you guys talk a little bit about, um, I think what you call in the film, um, social cooling? I never had heard that concept before. So I'm just curious if you would kind of uh, explain that a little bit for us. I hadn't come across it until um, we were making the film either. And, and that absolutely fascinated me. And there's still not a ton of sort of clarity around that and to what extent it's really happening. There's not a lot of studies that have been done on it, but it makes an awful lot of sense when you start to think about it. And I don't know whether you've heard of Jeremy Bentham's The Panopticon, this whole concept that um, he, this, this idea of the prison, and in, there's just this tower in the middle with one guard, but he can see into all the prison cells and therefore the behavior of the prisoners is always moderated because they think that they are being watched the whole time. So that's an old sort of philosophical thing, but from a psychology point of view, it's very, very relevant to what's going on today. Because if you're constantly being watched, you're always going to monitor your behavior right? Or it's going to change your behavior or think about your behavior. And so you might pull back in certain situations, not have, you know, when you're a teenager, you kind of, you're experimenting, you're trying stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, if I think back when I was a teenager, some of the things I did, I mean, I just go, I just go red with embarrassment thinking, oh my God, what if, you know, that was captured on a video and it was out there forever on the web. And I think I, I would have naturally sort of modified my behavior. And so you start to wonder whether that generation are modifying their behavior because they're constantly being surveilled and watched and they don't know whether someone's going to be capturing that on video. Um, and then there's this other layer where you do also see you know, some, some pretty out there TikToks, right? Some TikToks which are quite bold and you're like, oh my God, or, or you know, obviously the pictures of sort of the body image pictures and people in bikinis and making themselves look beautiful and stuff like that, um, you know, which is quite bold to put that out there. So then you question, you know, are they, you know, you start to question that. And then, um, and then you realize that, this whole thing of the online brand is then coming into play as well. And so what you're actually putting out there on the web, is that the real you or is that a different you? And to what extent are you holding back? And that's what the social cooling thing is, is this holding back the real you because you're constantly being watched and that I find an absolutely fascinating from a, a psychology and, and human behavior point of view. One of the terms that was put out was talking about snowplow parenting. This idea of kind of you're clearing out all the obstacles for your child so that they don't have to come up against any issues or you know whatever and that essentially sort of establishes this uh, version of a child that isn't able to overcome obstacles on their own. I'm curious, are you guys parents, do you feel like you had any, uh, any relation to that kind of parenting or you know, how is it different for younger parents today? 
So I'm a parent of millennials, and and I think it's a natural inclination of all parents to try and make your children's life a little easier than yours was, and and that's probably the you know that's the initiative that you take, um, that's the motivation that you have in doing that, and and you know we we as parents of millennials, you know when we try to snowplow our version of snowplowing was um very physical it was you know going into the school and meeting with the principal and kind of putting forward a viewpoint of why you've misunderstood my child or you know um or you know making sure that we we're always there at their at their sports meets and and you know making sure they had everything that they needed in order to have the best chance of success as possible. And I just think it's amplified now with all the tools that are are at um, the disposal of a parent and that, you know, the way that we think we can make their lives safer and, and less risky. And they're, they're just so many digital tools and apps. And, you know, there are ways of getting to, um, to the, the public on behalf of your child to um, to make their lives easier or more visible or more fun or whatever it is. I mean, you've got a kid who wants to be an um, influencer and you can make that happen for them. And that, of course, ties in also with this whole concept of the digital leash. So, you know, your parents can, you can always get hold of your parents or your carer or whatever if you've got if you come across a problem or you get stuck and equally they can always get hold of you whereas in older generations you know sometimes there was no way of actually getting in contact with that parent or that carer and so you had to kind of solve your own problems and now you know it's easier to be a snowplow parent now because you don't find yourself in those situations where you've got to figure it out by yourself. I can understand it from the point of view of, you know, um, when my kids were were starting, the first time they were like, please, mom, can we walk to school like the other kids are doing, you know, and we weren't that far from the school, but um, I was very nervous of, of not dropping them off myself. And, um, and at that point, we just had the Nokia 3210. Um, and so because that was at my disposal, I used that. And, and actually gave them a Nokia 3210. I said, right, yo, you're going to walk to school now, but I'm going to phone you every two minutes and I'm going to find out where you are. Have you crossed the road yet? Have you, you know, is the older brother got the younger brother on the left of him so that he's further away from the cars? And, you know, I, I controlled it because I had the ability to do that. And I just think what, what, whatever, even if, you know, if it's digital, if it's a digital leash, if it's something digital, Parents are going to use it, and and it's great to to understand. I think that's what's what's super about the experts in the film, giving us this information that we should think twice about those easy tools that we use, and what other harms are we are we bringing to our kids, and um, what will they pass on, or how will the pendulum swing? You know, will they now go completely in the opposite direction? Go, I don't want to know anything you're doing. You know, I'm switching you digitally off completely. What, what, what will happen? I thought the interviews um, with the neuromarketers from, I think the gentleman was from uh, Facebook and maybe Google also. I think he worked in, he was a very good interview. And uh, Liz, I'm curious as to what responsibility do you think these tech companies have in so much as how they're marketing to children. Do they have responsibility? 
and your time in the tech world, um, what did you see? I know that was many, many years ago, but what did you see at sort of the inception of the digital marketing age versus what you see now? Yeah, so you're referring to Tim Kendall, and he was um, at Facebook in the very early days, and then he went on to um, be the president of Pinterest. You know, it's really interesting to see, I mean, he's such a deep-thinking, smart, intelligent person who had this kind of like, oh, moment of, you know, what we created here. And and he was absolutely brilliant to interview because um, he really had understood a lot of these issues and had seen it from the inside. I do think there's a massive responsibility on the people designing the digital technology that we're using today. And I think that is at the heart of the solution to this big issue that we have. Certainly in the early days, in the late 90s, um, we were, I, I didn't see any evidence of anybody really thinking that through in any great depth, but I don't think that was coming from a bad place. I just think it was um, naivety and, um, you know, it's the whole unintended consequences thing. But today, um, and some for some years, we've recognized that there are unintended consequences. So we therefore should be much more aware of that. And I do get a feeling that there's a certain amount of what I call intended consequences going on now, which is because of the way the system works. And, you know, the share, you've got shareholder values and all those kind of things, which means that, you know, they end up designing products which really aren't good for humanity first. They're good for the shareholders first and then humanity second. Now, I do think there is a wave um, of, Um, engineers and people coming through the ranks who are very mindful of this but I think it's very hard for them to really cut through when they are tied into this sort of corporate system um, that that exists and all of the competitiveness um, involved in that and you know you don't want to lose your job and you want to succeed and so it's really really difficult Um, but yes I think there's a huge responsibility today on all of the tech firms to really be very mindful about what they are creating. You know, you might be aware of it already, but California, the California Senate passed through a bill, I think it was last week, which is the Social Media Duty to Children's Act, which is to bring pressure onto platforms um, to, to be more mindful and to have to develop software that um, doesn't have the, the same sort of addictive algorithm design uh, as they currently do and the EU had passed something similar to that some months back actually so you know it's it's early days and it's small measures but hopefully if more and more of those kind of acts and bills it puts pressure on those companies to be more responsible. What's the reaction from the film and and you know has there been anything that was a surprising reaction that you guys weren't expecting or you know, anything that you've kind of learned now that it's been out in the world a little bit? What's super interesting is um, the reaction from Gen Z versus the reaction from older generations. And we've had screenings where you've had both generations in the room um, or just certain generations in the room, etc. Most of the older generations uh, are shocked. They're like, 
oh my God. And that was the intention of the film. It was a wake up call for parents, carers, educators to go, look, this is how hard it is to be 15 these days, right? Um, and we need to be more aware of that. So we get, we got the, we get the shocks kind of, um, uh, often the response is I feel a little bit depressed and overwhelmed after having watched that. You know, it is a bit of a roller coaster ride and you're like, whoa. And, and intentionally, it's a lot of layers in the film and you start with layer one and you build on another layer and you go and, and you go and, and you go and, and you and, and it happens really sort of fast in the way that the internet's just like this massive information all happening super fast. And it's kind of intentionally done that way but generation z they i mean thankfully um a lot of them have said to us thank you this is a great film and thank you for re representing our voice this is what it really is like but they're not shocked right because this is their reality and this is what they see and get so that's what i find most fascinating in the audience reactions one of the nice outcomes of the film is um the intergenerational conversations that it's enabling so we get a lot of feedback after the film sometimes some days after uh where where people say you know i had a chat i talked I watched the film with my daughter or my son and we were talking afterwards and we were able to talk about this and that and 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 it's really enabling a very very important intergenerational conversation and I think that's probably the one of the things that Chantal and I are most pleased about in terms of the actual outcome of the film. What is the next steps for the film or for you guys are you back to narrative now that you've really dove in deep to a documentary or <laughs> or what what's uh, uh what's next? Personally, um, Liz has convinced me to do another documentary with her, if she can tell you that. Um, and I, yes, I am continuing with my narrative um, projects as well. It's a prequel called I Am Millennial. <laughs> yeah, <it's a> <laughs> Actually, um, a lot of people propose that we do I Am Gen Alpha or I Am Alpha because the next generation um, under them have also got some um, fascinating challenges ahead. But um, but no, um, but interestingly, our next film is called The Deadline and it was inspired by I Am Gen Z. And at the end of I Am Gen Z, there's this little clip uh, that we've taken from Greta Thunberg when she's at the UN and she talks about and if the system is is broken then change the system and you kind of need a 15 year old sometimes to say it to you like that right and and that got me interested in about you know it's a very simplistic thing to say that but you know why why our world is pretty broken at the moment and why can't we change our systems that are creating these problems anyway so that evolved into the deadline and the deadline is really looking at the battle that's going on between the populists and the progressives all over the world right now. So it's a global look at that. It's, um, you know, we're seeing right now the whole Roe v. Wade story is, is part of that. Um, you're seeing this massive polarization um, in America, but you're also seeing the same things happen in Europe, um, in India, in, in Brazil, in other parts of the world too. And we've, we've already started doing some filming in the Philippines around that too. So really like um, looking again, you know, the psychology of why um, we're so polarized um, and, and what's driving that and why we're getting so entrenched in our views. Also, you know, 
what are the vested interests um, and the other power things at play that are, are creating this problem. You know, wrapping around that, really the framing device for it, and this is why it's called the deadline, is, you know, while we're fighting and we're getting more and more polarised, the clock is ticking because we've got this one massive big issue for all of humanity, which is the climate crisis and what we do about that. And, and so I guess the big philosophical question that we're posing with the film is if we can't get on, how on earth are we ever going to solve this big issue that, that we need to solve. Hopefully that'll be um, available. January 2024 is when we're aiming to deliver that. So we, we're in the process of really starting to get that, film that and get that off the ground. Nothing bigger. <laughs> just nothing. <laughs> just tackling the biggest <laughs> issue. That's very exciting and, and bold and important. To wrap up once again, this film, I Am Gen Z, will be playing as part of our 2022 program at Lower East Side Film Festival Saturday, July 9th at 6 p.m. And then also as a part of our virtual program as well, in case you can't make it to the theater in New York. And yeah, thank you both for, for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been such a treat speaking with you, such a treat.